Welcome to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, the podcast for women in midlife and beyond. At Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Colleen. My name is Bridget. And today's episode, we are going to be talking to Jan Hargrave, who is a body language expert. And one of the reasons that Bridget and I thought this would be a great topic to discuss for women in midlife is that we don't even realize how much non-communication, non-verbal communication is being sent out to people. And sometimes we feel like, wait, we're invisible. Well, are we giving off that body language that don't look at us, don't pay attention to us? It was just an interesting topic that I thought we could really talk about. And Bridget and I were like, hmm, let's find an expert. And Jan was gracious enough to say, I'll talk about it. So it's going to be an interesting conversation. Bridget and I, before we start the episode, want to let you guys know that we have been extremely hard at work getting the 12 days of holiday giveaways ready for this year. It's our third annual one, and we couldn't be any more excited about it. But we're also starting a 2021 holiday gift guide for midlife women. And in this, we are going to have really unique and creative ideas for gifts for midlife women that are created either by some of our favorite brands or women-owned, minority-owned small businesses that we want to promote this holiday season. We want to make sure that you realize it. So when someone says to you, what do you want for Christmas, Hanukkah, whatever you may celebrate, you'd be like, you know, I saw this really cool thing on the gift guide from Hot Flashes on Cool Topics. And a lot of them will have promo codes. You can get discounts. And we are so thrilled to be putting this together because we really think it's going to be a great resource for you guys this coming holiday season, right, Bridget? Oh, yeah. I I can't wait to see it myself because I'll probably order it just for myself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we tried to say... Yeah, I could give it to my family and say, look, here, you know, codes, discounts, things. But, you know, if I want it bad enough and I want it now... (laughs) right we have to wait yeah we have to wait it was Bridget and I sitting there saying what would we like for the holidays what do we think is different it's you and some of them are so creative I always say to myself gosh why didn't I think of that I know and it's great to support women too and minority-owned businesses we just really want to promote that want to get the word out uh that there's some fabulous businesses out there Yes. So the 12 days of holiday giveaways will be starting mid-November. I believe it's the 16th every other day. And we have some of the most amazing brands just sponsoring awesome gifts for the holidays that you are going to be able to possibly win for free. I mean, definitely win for free, but possibly win. And that will be starting in November. If you want more information, make sure to either follow us on Instagram or email us your your email information, because if you go on our website, it will automatically come up, enter your email address. And that will also be a way for us to get you the information. The gift guide should be coming out beginning of November, because we want to make sure that women and men who are, who receive the guide highlighted and say, please (laughs) get me this, will be, Mm -hmm. we'll have plenty of time to order the gifts and get them in time. So we just want to share with you guys how excited, I mean, I'm a huge holiday person. So is Bridget. We love giving gifts and we love sharing brands that we really think women in midlife and beyond want to and need to know about. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And also we have started a Patreon page. All of our season three videos of our 
podcast, and especially this particular episode yes. today. It's patreon.com slash hot flashes, cool topics. So you're going to want to go there. We are going to let Jen Hargrave take over to talk about body language and what you're really saying without using words. Here we go. Okay, welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics. Today, we have on Jan Hargrave. She is the na- one of the nation's leading experts on body language. Welcome, Jan. Oh, I am pleased to be here. Thank you for having me, too. We are so excited because I think this is a topic that a lot of people don't think about how they are expressing their body language to people. And people are reading that. I think you said like 55% of our conversation is nonverbal cues. How did you get into this? Well, you know, think of the old saying, actions speak louder than words. So when someone lays eyes on you or someone hears they're forming a judgment of you and they're deciding right then, do I like this person? Do I trust this person? Do I even want to have a conversation with them? So when we give the percentages about body language, here's how they go. 55% of a person's communication is their nonverbal. So everything that you do with your shoulders, your hands, your eyes, your, your eyes, everything that you do with yourself, that's called nonverbal communication. And that's 55% of our communication. 38% of our communication is simply voice inflection or vocal tone because someone can say to you how how are you but their vocal tone can be in a manner that does not is not that pleasant to you so that's 37 percent of our of our communication and then research says that only seven percent of a person's actual face-to-face communication does come from the words that they say so 55 percent is nonverbal, 38 percent is voice inflection and only seven percent comes from the words that we say so that's why you know actions speak louder than words and people usually get a first impression of you within two to seven seconds of speaking with you. So they decide, do I think this person is competent? Do I think this person is knowledgeable? Do I want to continue having a conversation with them? That is it. That's done between two and seven seconds. And typically by the time it's four minutes, you have made a decision whether you want to keep that person in your life or you never want to have that person again in your life. That's about it. Four minutes of time from talking with someone. So that's why we have to always be on our toes, especially if, you know, if we're out in the business world or if we're, we're somewhere that we think someone else is noticing us, you might not realize that someone's watching you, but someone is always watching you, whether you're working in an office and you're seeing about maybe wanting to get, um, maybe wanting to get a higher ranking. Someone's always keeping an eye on you. Maybe it's the way you hold your shoulders, maybe the way you carry your books when you're coming into work in the morning, or do you look disheveled or do you look like you're really on the ball? So if someone Someone's always watching us. So that's why I think, you know, that we have to think a little more clearly about this thing called nonverbal. Wow. That is something, you know, so many women and so many of our listeners are midlife women. That's our target. Um, And they have such an issue with confidence. I know I do. I know it's probably gone down as I've gotten older. So what are some tips you could give uh, a midlife woman just with confidence? With confidence, because because okay, so let's let me kind of go go back for a bit and tell you how, how I got into this, and then oh, maybe sure. tell you some things that someone could do. So I was sitting in a graduate psychology class. I'm from Louisiana, so I'm a raging Cajun kind of crazy wild woman. I live in Houston, Texas now, but I was in a college graduate uh, psychology class and had a fun professor. And every few days he would walk in and he would look at one of us and say, I know what you're thinking. Or the next day he would go to look at someone else and say, I know what you're thinking. He kept doing that to us. And one day he looked at me and he said, Jan, I know what you are thinking. 
And I said, how can that fool know what I'm thinking? Because it always wasn't too pretty. So he told us about body language. And I said, you mean I can study the way a person moves his hands and arms and eyes and kind of figure him out? And he said, oh, yeah, 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 you can do it. And I was dating someone at the time. So I said to my college professor, I said, so when this man tells me that he loves me, I can figure out if he's telling the truth. And he said, oh, yeah, 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 you can do it. I said, I need to learn this stuff because I thought, what an advantage I would have all my life. I could figure out if my boyfriends were lying to me or not. So at first, when I started studying it, I mean, that's what I was doing. I was reading this guy. I was reading all my friends. Then, of course, it became more serious research for me and my dissertation. All my graduate work was in the field of body language. Then after I completed all the research, I was asked to develop a course, a college course, on nonverbal communication for attorneys. So that's how I started off. I was teaching attorneys how to read possible jurors to see if that juror was going to be with the case or be against us on the case. But then after, and then I would teach them all this stuff. But then after I started doing that for years, businesses realized we need to bring this body language information that you're teaching in the courtroom to the business world because confidence gestures in the courtroom are still confidence gestures in the business world. Deception gestures in the courtroom are still going to be deception gestures in the, in the business world. So then I started bringing it to industry. And once we developed that for industry, it's been, uh, I mean, it, it went kind of wild because People go through their entire lives and, real, and just think, well, I'm going to just talk a good game and I'll get my way across or I'll get my message across. But it's not going to be just that. We have to constantly be aware of reading that other person. You know, you might have an agenda in your head and say, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this. But if you're not reading the other person and reading their nonverbals, then they are accepting what you're saying. You're losing part of the conversation. So, so when I teach, you know, I always have to teach you this way. I teach you how to understand where does your body project out the moment that someone sees you and then how to read the other person's body language while you're having a conversation with them. So when we talk about confidence, because that was your, your main question. So let's say someone, you want to know if someone maybe is going on an interview, someone's going in the grocery store, someone's meeting a friend for lunch. I mean, do you want me to touch a certain area of that? I think maybe like a lot of women say they feel invisible in a room once Mm -hmm. they reach a certain age. And I think that is a confidence issue. We don't feel confident. So maybe when you're, it could be business related, but it also could be personally related. Okay. So perfect. Because Yes, and that was a good question, Colleen, because someone sometimes will go into a meeting room and you feel invisible. That was the wording you said, invisible. So a lot of the times we can make ourselves look a little bit more powerful than we actually feel, and we can accomplish it through our knowledge because there's a difference in someone talking with you and their arms are kind of spread out in front of their body as opposed to someone talking with you and their arms are crossed in front of their body. So you have to think of it this way. The smaller you keep yourself, the less threatening you look to others. So when you're all with your arms crossed in front of your body, your legs crossed in front of your body, you're really tiny. And so therefore you look non-confrontational and that's when you look your weakest. So when you stay this tiny, that's when people think, oh, I can pounce upon her and I can get my way with her. It says in the research that the more physical space you you need around you, the more powerful you can look to another. So think about it this way. If you saw three limousines coming down the freeway and one limousine is larger than the other two, where do you naturally think the most important person is, is in the largest of the three, who gets the biggest office space, probably the highest ranking officer of a room. So when we get into meeting rooms, 
we sometimes will just stay in this tiny section. And as I was saying, when I watch Oprah, look how Oprah sits. Oprah will put an arm on the chair behind her and she's talking with you like how expressive and how big my arm, my hands are. So when someone is that way, it gives the impression that they're saying, I'm the one in charge here. I'm the one who's going to lead this meeting. So I tell this to ladies, and even if you feel uncomfortable kind of pushing your arms away from you a bit, what you might want to do is spread your books out more on the table than you normally would. Because think of this, the size of physical space you need around you determines and tells another one how much power you feel you have. For a man, it's real easy because a guy can sit in a chair and a guy can even place his arms on the chairs on the side of him for an entire hour of a meeting. But look at the impression he's giving. He's saying, I need all of this space because I'm the one in charge of this meeting. So when women come in, even if you put sometimes one hand on a hip, think of what that do. And that's giving you a little bit larger you know, size. You don't want to go with two hands on a hip too, too long because it looks like you feel you're impatient then. But if let's say you put one hand on a hip for a while and then you kind of bring your hand down. Just anything to give the impression that you've feel that that you're taking up a little bit more space and you have to think of the shoulders because the way that someone sets their shoulders that sets the entire mood of the meeting because let's say you have a meeting with a person a luncheon meeting in a restaurant and you get there they're already there and you see them at their table sitting down their arms are just I mean their shoulders are really humped that's letting you know right there they're not that anxious to have this meeting with you so the shoulder setting will set the tone for the entire meeting and when I talk about shoulders you know I tell people that think of in yoga you know you bring your shoulders up you bring them down but then bring them up and put it in that back socket when they're in that back socket that's really how you should probably appear to other people it's kind of hard to do that all the time but think when you're doing it you even feel better about yourself because you feel that you look think of military too military is always this way so if we need to do that and when you are slumped shouldered and all, all hooked in this way you look really depressed and you never, ever want to go across looking depressed. So if you can, put your shoulders back. And then I also train uh, people on virtual screens because when you're in a virtual conversation, everything that you do with your hands, your shoulders, your face, your eyes is magnified. In a business setting, you know, I'm looking at all of you from up to bottom, but on these virtual screens, all I can see is your face. So that's why I tell women and men that you have to have some emotion that's coming from your face and you must show me your hands every now and then. Not crazy hands, but sometimes some hand motions. And I'll show you some hand motions that are working now, I think, better on virtual calls than, than anything. Um, so, so when you're in a, in a virtual conversation or even an in-person conversation, People trust you faster when they can see minor hand motions from you. Because think of hands. I mean, hands that gave birth to you, hands held you when you were young. You probably married someone, you held their hand. Someone gets elderly and they want to have someone hold their hand. But hands can also harm you. Hands can hurt you. Hands can kill you. That's why police officers say, show me your hands. So without you even noticing, when you're coming into contact with an individual, your first thought for survival is, if I can see their hands, I feel safer around them. So that's why I always tell men, don't do an entire meeting and keep your hands in your pockets because people around you without noticing it, they will start feeling threatened or a little bit uncomfortable. A lot of what you just spoke about also speaks to the dating world. A lot of midlife women are getting into the dating world and they're worried that, you know, 
I've had people come up to me and say, you know, it's okay to smile. They call it the resting bee face, you know, the resting witch with a bee face. <laughs> How do women in the, that start dating again, number one, feel confident to talk to someone. And number two, know if they're having those deceptive gestures that you speak about right, and if okay. they're interested. Okay. Hey, and okay, so I'm going to show you the deceptive gestures. I'll show you some courtship gestures. So in, the, in one of my books, you ask about courtship. So there are gestures that guys do, ladies do, that say, ah, you look pretty good to me. So with guys, the number one gesture in America, ladies, when someone is interested in you and he does not know how to tell you that he's interested in you, men will always reach down while talking with you and adjust their socks. Sock pulling is one of the number ones. I live in Texas. I see men dig in cowboy boots for socks. It is always a gesture they're going to do. It's kind of a discomfort thing. And think where that comes from, though. You might hear two young guys talking with each other. And one will say, you need to see this girl. She will knock your socks off. You will never look at sock pulling like you used to look. It's a huge gesture of, of, uh, of courtship. And another one that men do, which is cute, you know, a guy will hold on to a Coca-Cola can. He kind of squeezes it he lets it go he squeezes it every time he squeezes that can he's thinking to himself i like to squeeze you baby so you might want to watch <laughs> the can for the guys you talk with and then men preen p-r-e-e-n you know they'll, they'll kind of tug on their hair and we like them to do that and then this tugging at the tie is a courtship gesture they'll kind of fix their tie even this see what i'm doing i'm pulling on my shirt sleeves at the end that is a courtship gesture. Like it says, do I look good enough for this woman? And then they will adjust the jacket. So there are so many things that guys and, and ladies do. For the ladies, you know, most men think, oh, she touched her hair. She's probably interested in me. That is not the first thing the lady does. A lady does three things before she even touches her hair. So the three things that a lady does, if she sees someone who she finds attractive, let's say a lady's sitting next to a guy and she finds him attractive, a lady will first always cross her leg towards the person she feels is most attractive. So if you're on my left side and I like you, I will cross my right leg over my left. So I want to be inclusive of you. I want to bring you in circle. Then once I'm crossing my leg facing yours to let you know that you need to talk with me now because I find you attractive, I will start to kind of slowly kick a leg. You know, that leg that's crossed is kind of like a rhythm. You kind of go slow, slow. You never want to kick fast because a fast kick shows impatience. So it has to be kind of a slow little rhythm. And then the number one gesture that ladies still do the show to someone else that they're attracted to them is the dangling of the shoe. Women dangle their shoes. Men pull up their socks. It goes back to the Cinderella effect. And the beginning of wedding, years and years and years back, behind wedding cars, it was shoes that were hung. Now it's cans and everything else, but originally it was shoes that were hung behind cars. So that's why you have the sock pulling. That's why you have the shoe dangling. Then after she's done all this, that's when a lady gets into her hair. And the more she gets into her hair, of course, the more that she likes someone. So knowing that touching your hair is a sign of courtship, during a serious business meeting, you cannot toss that hair too much because it undermines everything that you've laid on the table, that seriousness. So, and you know, this, when people do this, it's called ventilating. It's that someone who's kind of hot under the collar. See, when they do this with the hair, women will do this. Men will kind of pull the collar this way. Every, every gesture that you do, if you watch something in slow motion, would give an indication of what someone's really thinking or feeling inside. Oh, wow. So if someone that's sees good. you, that's yeah. so good. If you're yeah. on a date and 
you see a guy, what are like, what is like first impression gestures that show that he's kind of interested, but like, yes, he's going to pull on his sock, but the first yeah. time he sees you. Yeah. Well, you know, guys and, and girls look at each other. When a guy sees you and he likes you, he'll look at you up and down. They do. They do that. We, we don't. We just kind of looking at their face and we're kind of getting that peripheral vision coming in at the same time, but they will actually let you know that they find you attractive. And then men peacock, if they find that you're looking good and they want to impress you, they, I mean, the, the, you know, they'll peacock, the, the chest comes really out because, because they are feeling that if they enlarge their size, you see them as more powerful. Maybe they'll stand with an arm on the wall. So look all the space they'd be taking, you know, kind of leaning against the wall. So that would be probably the first thing. And then peep, I, uh, guys and, and ladies and mostly guys will play this kind of sexual peekaboo with you. They'll look at you, then they'll look away, then they'll look at you and they'll look away. Or they might do it over a menu in a restaurant. They'll look down then they'll look for you, then they'll look up. That's called sexual peekaboo in body language. So those little kind of nice little things. And then once you have a conversation with them, you know, I don't think anyone would ever touch you without them liking you. So they might gently touch you here on the forearm that's a safe area between the wrist and the elbow if I touch you here it just says I'm present with you and I'm talking with you if I touch you here in the shoulder I'm getting kind of personal with you but in body language women can touch and men cannot touch you know I can go to a guy and say, oh you have a great chest and touch his chest but a guy can't come do that to me so ladies we have the advantage if you want to touch touch I mean it's a shame that we say that but in, in a sense we kind of do we can look at someone's shoulders and say wow your shoulders look great today Mm -hmm. Isn't it great? And the older we get, the more we can touch. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask about that. That was a question I'd written with all with the Me Too and everything. Yeah. How, how does touching work? You know, how does that work now? Yeah. So you answered that yeah. pretty much. Yeah. 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 And almost cannot touch it. We have to be careful too, because, you know, maybe we can go overboard with it. But I think ladies are a little bit cautious and you would not go overboard. And we just know better than to right. touch someone. Yes. Foolishly. Yes. Like yeah. even in a handshake and I, you know, when you're shaking hands, the best kind of handshake, remember, and this is a good lesson for the ladies is a vertical handshake. Never that your hand faces downward, never that your hand faces upward. Cause if I'm shaking your hand and my hand is facing downward, that means I want to control you. If I'm shaking your hand and my hand facing upward, that means I don't mind if you control me. The best one is the vertical handshake straight up and down. It allows either one of us to have part in this conversation. And an ideal handshake is when web, web is the thing between my thumb and my pointer finger, when web touches web. So web has to touch web. It cannot be this weak thing because it shows lack of self-esteem. It has to be web to web. And one thing that we teach about handshaking that's funny is that the correct number of pumps is three pumps in a handshake. I get okay. excited, I'll pump 10 times, but it's three pumps. So what I was getting back with the touching. So if I'm shaking your hand, let's say Bridget, you and I are shaking hands. So point your hand out at me and we're shaking hands. So let's say I take my left hand and I come over and I touch your, your forearm of your right hand. That's called anchoring in body language. And it is perfectly okay because the only area that I can touch you if I'm shaking your hand is somewhere between the wrist and the elbow. Because if I touch here, it just says, just says I, I'm with you, I'm fully present this conversation so for our women sometimes 
men will shake your hand and then they kind of dismiss you. If you want to have the control in the conversation, the handshake, when you're shaking their hand, just hold on to their forearm. When you're holding onto the forearm, it's it signifies to them to say, I am fully present in this conversation. And you almost at times give the indication that you have the upper hand because they will never release you until you're absolutely ready to be released. And then they will let you go. But it's your way to say, if you feel you've been dismissed by some people when they shake your hand, it's your way to say, you don't have to dismiss me because I'm going to be the one who's going to dismiss you. And also when shaking hands with someone, make sure that your shoulders are squared with their shoulders. And I, I laugh about it and label it this way. My belly button needs to be looking right at your belly button for be, it to be an effective handshake. So I'm looking at you and when my belly button is pointing towards your belly button, that's the position that I need to be in. And I've looked that's at a lot of belly buttons in my life, <laughs> but you touched on face. I just want to mention something you touched on smile, which is so good to do. I mean, smiling is the only universal expression we have throughout the world. There's only seven basic expressions and they are, I have them written up here, anger, fear, contempt, happiness, sadness, surprise, and disgust. There's only seven universal. So anywhere you go in the world, if you smile, the other person will probably know what's going on in your mind. You're probably going to be smiling. They're probably going to be smiling too. But even as I watch the two of you, as you're listening to me, you're doing something that's so wonderful. You're, you're nodding your head every now and then. So during these yeah. virtual calls, you must, you must, you must do a head nod. Because a head nod when someone else is speaking is usually a, an encouragement to that person or acknowledgement to that person that you're listening and you're like really into the conversation. So, and it had always been thought that women were better listeners than men, but women are not better listeners than men. It's just because, it's just that women give more nonverbals when they are listening. When women listen, sometimes they'll nod their head like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I got that. And women smile back when they're listening. Men more so stay in a neutral zone so and have no expressions whatsoever. So sometimes a lady will have a meeting with the guy and someone will say, how did the meeting go? She'll say, I don't know. I never got any nonverbals from him. So when I coach men, I say, guys, come on, you got to smile every now and then. You got to nod your head every now and then. And then ladies, we can't nod our head all the time because then they'll think that we agree with everything they're saying. But let me give you the, the way to nod correctly and the way to nod incorrectly. So typically when you're listening and you're agreeing, you go, you go twice. You're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. But when you're ready for someone else to shut up because you want to speak, you not, normally nod three times. You're like, so if you can pick that up, but it's kind of funny. To, you know, uh, I am a head nodder. I, I could, cause yeah. I edit our videos and I, and I am like, oh my gosh, my head's going to fall off. I nod so much. Yeah. But, yeah. But, Bridget, that's good. At least you yeah. know, people know when they're talking with you that you're there, that you're fully yeah. present in the conversation. If someone's not giving us any expression, that's why it's so difficult to teach a class to just because I don't see any, you know, sometimes I'm teaching a class on virtual screens and I don't see any people. It's, it's really rough on a speaker because we don't know what's going on inside their minds. We don't see any of their faces. But seeing little faces kind of smile back at us, maybe nod their head, that's a welcoming thing for anyone. But it's so good that ladies do it. And then when we get excited, we want to say something. We always go three times. It's like, come on, I want to say something now. <laughs> so in your next conversations, watch for the double head nods and the triple head nods. So. Let's go on to honesty, dishonesty, and maybe um, a dating gestures or courtship gestures. So when, to get into the honesty and dishonesty gestures, let me mention why originally hands move when we're speaking. Our hands move to help us organize things that are caught in our brain that want to get out of our mouth. So I want to explain it to you this, this way. 
everything that you've ever learned. When you talk to me, that gives me that knowledge. But everything you've ever felt, so, so body language is attitudes, feelings, and emotions. So when you're talking with me, you're giving me knowledge of things you've learned. But every time I see emotion from you, that tells me about your attitude, your feeling, or your emotion. So think of the why hands moves. Let me explain it this way. When I move my right hand or anything that I move on the right side of my body, my right hand, my right ear, my right leg, my right eye, anything that I move on the right side of my body, that is controlled from the left side of my brain. And my left brain, that's the analytical side, it is the mathematical side, it is the history side. Our timetables are located in the upper left side of our head. So if I'm multiplying something in my brain and having trouble getting the numbers multiplied, I would end up moving up, moving my right hand. It would help me clarify what I'm thinking, and then I could possibly give out the correct answer. So now when I move everything that's on the left side of my body, every motion you do on the left side of your body, that is controlled from the right side of your head. And our right brain, this is the fun side, this is the comical side, this is the side that daydreams. So if you ever drove somewhere and you cannot remember how you got there, you probably drove right brain. So think why your hands move. Your hands actually move because they're trying to help you get information that is stored right here inside this huge thing called a brain or called a computer outside of your mouth. If you had to speak to someone for 30 minutes that were not allowed to use your hands, let's say you had to talk and you had to keep your hands behind you the entire time, it would become really difficult to organize your thoughts and get them out in a logical fashion. So think that's why your hands move. Your hands move to help you organize your thoughts so that hopefully when we speak with people, we logically make sense. So that's why people say to me, Jan, if I couldn't ever speak if I couldn't move my hands. And I say to them, it's good that you move your hands because that's how I see your little personality. And that's how I see you. And that's how I see the expressiveness that you have inside of you. So that's why as ladies, we have the advantage there because we're free about moving our hands and you, you never want to make them too crazy and too big. They should be about a, you know shoulder width and probably down to about waist level and maybe stopping underneath your chin. But that's why their hands move. And that's for that reason, when someone's telling you the truth versus when someone's telling you a fib, you will use a different hand because when I lie to you, where is that lie coming from? It is coming from the right side of my head. When I make a story up, because the right side of my head is creative, correct? So when I'm telling you a lie, it's coming from the right side of my head. So therefore, when I gesture when being deceptive, I will more than likely gesture with my left hand. So people who are being deceptive more than likely will do some gestures with their left hand. People who are being honest will more than likely do gestures with their right hand. So let me just give you three or four gestures that people typically do when they're being dishonest with you. Because, you know, I still work in the courtroom. I prepare witnesses. I, I take juries. And as we're listening to someone's testimony, because I think, Colleen, didn't you work? In, aren't you also an attorney? Yes, I'm an attorney yeah. and my husband is. And your husband is. So I'm sure you're kind of used to reading people and understanding what's going on behind the scenes when they're talking with you. So when you're listening to someone's story, you're trying to listen to their storyline, to their sentence construction. You're trying to watch their eyes. You're trying to listen to the level of their voice, but you're trying to see if they do any hand motions whatsoever. Because the hand motions will more so give them away before maybe their eyes would give them away or their voice would give them away. Because in eyes, if you're looking at someone's eyes to see if they're being deceptive, there are five eye behaviors that when we see these in the courtroom, we say, wow, something's wrong with this person's story. 
because when you're comfortable and you're talking with me, you can look at me easily, right? You, know, you can look at me, you can tell me your story because you feel good about your story. And when you're in person with someone, typically what you should do is meet their eyes 60 to 70% of the time you're talking with them. I know odd, but you have to make people think that you're right there with them. When you form a good level of eye contact with them, they feel like they're one with you. And it's okay for your eyes to move a little bit when you're talking, because think really why your eyes move. If I need a thought that is contained in the upper right side of my head, I will go and catch it, and then I can tell you that thought. If I need a thought that's contained in the low, in the upper left hand of my head, I will go and catch it, and I can tell it to you. So that's why people's eyes move somewhat and easy like. You never want to stare at someone. I mean, they will think you're crazy, so you never want to do that. So you want to kind of be a relaxed eye. And we teach people in business schools that when you're giving someone eye contact and you feel like you're looking at them too much in the eye, the business gaze is really eye, eye, center forehead, eye, eye, center forehead, eye, eye, center forehead. And then when you're getting to know someone just a little bit better, most of us do really when we're comfortable is eye, eye, mouth, eye, eye, mouth, eye, eye, mouth. I, I like to look at people's mouths because I'm so afraid I miss a wording that they're telling me. So I usually go, you know, I, if I'm talking with you, Bridget, you know, I'll look at your eyes and I'll probably look at your mouth. I'll look at your eyes. I'll look at your mouth. I don't too much look at this in her forehead, but for those people who are raised in cultures where they have a difficulty looking at someone in the eye or they're not supposed to look, some women are not supposed to look at certain men in the eye. We either teach them to look at the center of the forehead or look at the upper um, ears. If someone's talking to me, they're looking at your upper ears. You never know that they're not looking at you directly in the eye. So if you cannot seem to play like, I'm too nervous about looking you in the eye, just look at their upper ears and they'll never even know. So the five eye behaviors that we don't trust in the courtroom, we have a hard time trusting someone's story when their eyes never meet ours. So too little eye contact and too much eye contact is something that you need to be aware of. The second one is that we have a hard time trusting someone's story when their eyes are excessively, excessively blinking when they're telling us their story. It's called a body, an eye block. The third one is um, eyes that remain closed for too long while someone's talking with you. And I'll just close my eyes. You ever had a, a conversation with someone and their eyes are closed the whole time? You're like, what is going on with that person? If their eyes are closed for too long, it's as though they're trying to block information about themselves from you. The fourth eye behavior that we seem to, to struggle with is once, once you've asked someone a question, right when they get the question asked to them, their eyes will immediately dart to the exit of the room and then they look back at you and they question. So right there, that door to the exit of the room is letting you know, I would like to leave this conversation and being in here and having this having to answer that question. So I the door to the corner of the room. And then the fifth one is what we call the sharp shooter, sharp shooter eye, where they, they kind of, they look at you through the corner of the eye and they're going to close their eyes just a little bit. Anytime you see a partial eye block, it could be meaning that someone is blocking information about themselves from you. So the first one was eyes that never meet yours that excessively, excessively blink when they're telling you their story unless they're having trouble with contacts, eyes that remain closed for too long when they're talking with you, eyes that immediately dart to the exit of the room once you've asked them a question, and then the last, the sharpshooter eye when they're looking at you. So when we talk about body language too, I guess one thing that I need to give, give to the listeners is 
the three C's of nonverbal are, let me give you the first one, it's context. When you see a gesture, you want to think of what is the environment that that gesture appears in. For example, someone in a business meeting who constantly and tightly crosses their arm is giving me a negative impression and telling me that they don't want to be in that business meeting. But a woman on a cold winter night on a with her arms crossed this way is simply telling me that she's cold. So you have to always think of the context. What's the environment that I see this gesture appear in? So I don't want people to think that just someone's in a business meeting and their arms are crossed tightly, that they're not even listening. The second C is congruence. And by congruence, I'm saying, does the gesture match the wording that's coming out of the mouth? For example, if I would tell you, I love you, but my head goes into a no, Actions speak louder than words. You're going to believe my head before you will believe my wording. So what I'm saying here is congruence. Does the word match what's coming out of the mouth? And then the last one is, is clusters. So when I say clusters, let's say I'm teaching you some signals of deception. You cannot just see one deceptive gesture and say, oh, I've been lied to. You want to at least see two deceptive gestures or more. In fact, if you would see three, that would be even better. So you have to, I guess, validate your findings. You, I can't just ask you a question. You one simple gesture of deception, I say, oh, I was just lied to. Or you want to re-ask that question time and time again, but let's say every time you re-ask the question, you get a deceptive gesture, then you're pretty sure that you're probably being lied to. So that's very important. The three C's are context, congruence, and clusters. And then the other part of deception that people have to realize is the, are the words baseline behavior. Baseline behavior is your natural, normal behavior. So let's say someone is accused of a crime. I would not first start talking with them about that crime. I would start talking with them about things they're comfortable with, maybe their family, maybe their job. And I'd start noticing what's their baseline. I'd say, oh, well, when she's comfortable, she tosses her hair back with her right hand. When she's comfortable, she crosses her left leg over her right leg. So I'd get a read on you. Then when I'd ask you a, a difficult question, I would look for deviations from your baseline behavior. So that's why when I talked about the blinking of the eyes, I don't want someone to say, wow, he's blinking his eyes so much, he's probably being deceptive with us. That may be that person's baseline behavior. So you have to get a read on them first, and then you work from there with your deceptive and your honesty gestures. So taking with, with the gestures of deception with the hands, the three major deceptive gestures that we've you know, we've been doing this, I think now it's 22, 23 years, and we're listening to story time after time after time into the courtroom. So there are certain behaviors that people do when they're really nervous and they don't want you to know that they're nervous and they're trying to put the wool, pull the wool over your, your eyes. So they're going to more than likely gesture with the left hand and deception gesture number one. Let's say they're talking with you and they're going to take their left hand. They'll kind of swing it in front of their face, you know, kind of just a little bit this way. Then they'll point their index finger and they will begin to rub up and down the left side of their nose. A liar, when telling you a big deceptive sentence, will usually do this. They'll go up the left side of the nose. They usually go up twice, then they bend their finger and they come underneath the nose back and forth a couple of times. They'll usually go up twice and then they usually go underneath here. So think about it. You've seen someone They'll rub the nose and they'll say, yeah, you look real good. You, and they're just a <laughs> fibbing, fibbing to you. But the reason that someone does this, because I'm a teacher, I never want to tell you something that I validated for you. When I bring my hand to my nose, what's happening? I cover my mouth, correct? So when someone is doing this, touching the nose this way, they're trying to distract you from the words that are coming out of their mouth. So they'll try to distract you with fingernails they wear, rings that people wear distract you, even watches that people wear can distract you. So that is the reason that someone comes here and touches the nose. And this gesture where I'm touching my nose, 
it goes back to a childhood gesture that we all did. If you said something you were not supposed to say, you took both of your hands, you went, oh, I can't believe that I said that. So even as an adult, we're wanting to do that same gesture, but now we're a little bit more sophisticated. The, the left hand comes up and then just touches the nose on the left side and then rubs underneath it. And the reason that a liar rubs underneath the nose, it's a physiological reasoning. Every time you tell a lie, you get a tingling sensation in your nose and because of it you end up rubbing i know that you will never touch your nose again with your left hand <laughs> if ever the left side of your nose itches just come around with your right hand just rub it here is, it's, is, it's, it, is it the same for left-handed people like just because the of the side of the brain correct and frigid that is so good that you address that because people will always say i'm left-handed jen but still everybody's brain works the same way and if you took your two hands and put them together that's how your brain looks you know you have a left hemisphere a right hemisphere when you when you make a fist and you put your two hands together then you have tiny fibers and so this left brain that's analytical that's scientific that's all your history your math and your right brain is creative and it likes to drink it likes to get drunk it likes to party it likes to dance it likes to play football so thank goodness we have two sides of the brain but think of when you're telling someone a, a story you're getting your expressions from your right side of your head. You're getting your, your memory, your corrective memory or your history, your science from the left side of your head. So now you know, gesture number one, and I'm sure you can have fun with rubbing your nose. You can see your spouse this afternoon say you're the best looking thing I've ever seen. <laughs> the second and third gestures, again, is the left hand, comes back to the left side of the face. And gesture number two is this. I'm taking my left index finger and I'm slightly tugging at my left eye. So people who talk with you and tug at the left eye with the left hand has to be left and left. It's as though they're thinking to themselves, do not see very clearly what I'm saying because I am not being fully truthful with you. So, and when they touch the eye and they're, they're lying, they usually use descriptive words that have to do with sight. So they'll rub the eye and say, um, yeah, that looks real good on you. And they're just a fibbing, fibbing each time. So as I do it, look, I'll get real close. They either touch the tip of the eye here or they touch the upper cheek. You see, I'm just kind of rubbing my upper cheek here. That's called a displacement gesture. And I just as well address displacement gestures now. Any gesture that is done that's not a necessary gesture is a gesture someone does to soothe themselves in times of discomfort. So this would be a displacement gesture. See what I'm doing here? I'm just scratching my upper arm. You know, my arm doesn't itch here. I'm just doing this. Someone who's constantly fooling with their clothing, that's a displacement gesture. Someone constantly fooling with the hair, pulling the chest or picking imaginary pieces of lint off of the clothing. All of these are discomfort gestures that we just do when we're nervous. But when you're in front of a group and you're presenting, you should try to avoid as many of those as you can because you're just making yourself look more nervous and more uncomfortable. So if you can talk and never have to fool up your hair, your clothing, then you come across as really confident. But every time you have to do something to button your jacket, play with your jacket, fix a tie, fix a cufflink, all of these things are distraction gestures. Someone I think I do that a lot. <laughs> I think I do yeah. that a lot. I really do. <laughs> but you know what's good about this and a show this way? It creates an awareness in individuals. You won't remember everything that I said, but be watching someone you say, oh, I remember that Jan saw, said something about someone doing this. And when you yourself will be maybe scratching your neck or putting back, you say, oh, I better not do that because Jan said not to do that. You know, it's kind of funny. At least I'm giving you a reason not yes. to do it. Yes. Because it makes you look just a little bit more uncomfortable than you actually are. But, you know, 
we all have to self-soothe sometimes because we're all nervous. So it's okay to every now and then clasp your own hand because that's kind of soothing to you. You never want to do this where you're rubbing your hands, and, you know, or this where you're rubbing your hands back and forth. These are nervousness gestures. You would not never ever want to see, let your audience see that, but you can every now and then touch two fingers to each other. It's almost as though you're holding your own hand because why do we like to hold our hand? Let's say you went first grade, your teacher scolded you, you went at recess, you held a friend's hand, said, hold my hand, and because and, and, my teacher just scolded me. As we get to be big people, we cannot just go hold someone else's hand. So when we are stressed, we hold our very own hand. And you could do it really gentle like this or like this, and no one thinks ill of you. You know, my right hand over my left hand, my left hand over my right. But you don't want to be doing this or passing your hands this way, you know, that you're rubbing them together. You look too distracted and too nervous. So now that you have line gesture number one, one line gesture number two is touching the eye. Third gesture of dishonesty is taking the left hand and tugging at the left ear. And when someone does this, it's as though they're thinking, do not hear very clearly what I'm saying. And it, it's ridiculous that someone talks to you and they're doing this. There is no sense that someone is tugging on an ear while they're talking with you. They're simply tugging on this ear so that you look towards the ear and you do not focus on their mouth. So this is a distraction when they're doing this. And people say, but Jan, why does someone touch an ear? Why does someone touch an eye? Why does someone touch the left side of the nose? All of us touch the left side of the nose because we're trying to conceal and cover the mouth. But the reason that some people touch their eye when being deceptive and some people touch the ear when being deceptive, these are based on that person's preferred method of learning. Some people are visual learners. Some people are audio learners. People who are visual, when they're saying something that makes them uncomfortable to soothe themselves, they will go to the area that brings them the most information and touch it. So visual people, when lying, touch the eye. Audio people, when lying, will end up touching the ear. All of us end up touching the, the nose and trying to cover the mouth when we're being deceptive. We could talk to you forever because this is so I could. fascinating. I could. Yeah. Honestly, I think we've learned more in this last hour than I've learned in like a long time <laughs> yeah. honestly and we always say oh, that and I'm so, I always I'm, learn yeah we shows. always yeah. learn but like the amount just the sheer amount of information I want to make sure our listeners know that janhargrave.com is your website you have five books let me see your body talk freeway of love which was the one we talk about dating so guys check that one out if you are just getting back into dating or you want to know the tips and tricks for body language judge the jury strictly business body language and poker face so if you're interested in poker guys that sounds like a great book too Mm -hmm. good book yeah so one book deal the first one let me see your body talk is body language job interview body language presentation skills body language gender differences Judge the jury is how to spot a liar. Freeway of love is everything there is to know about dating and relationships. And I I did Steve Harvey's show a number of times. Steve and I did that book together. He is just the craziest man I know. (laughs) The fourth one is is Strictly Business Body Language. And the good thing about the fourth book, the Strictly Business Body Language book, I put a lot of pictures in that one. It took me four books to write in body language to figure out I needed to put a lot of pictures. So there's pictures of every kind of seating position you can think of, standing position, and then Poker Face, I, I'm a little bit of a gambler, so I wrote a book on, on gambling body language. And also on my website, I cannot fail to tell the listeners this, I have an online course. So when they go to my website, they'll see the online course. If they you know want to schedule it or take it, then they get to have me 24 hours a day and they can learn. And maybe they could get a pair of pink glasses. <laughs> yes, because so you are known for your pink <laughs> yes. glasses. And, and, you, and you also um, do um, work like business 
uh, talks. You're also a guest speaker. Yes. So I think that would yeah. be fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Yes. You have yeah. some of those yeah, online getting, too. Uh, yeah. So I've been doing webinars and we're getting to, I'm doing some in-person. You know, now we're doing in-person starting next week. I travel, travel, travel teaching. And um, I, I have to say, I've kind of missed some of the in-person, you know, you, you, like when I was traveling so much, I'd say, wow, wouldn't it be great to be home? But I, I do miss that live audience. And I'm glad that I'm getting, we're getting back to that now. I traveled some last month, but now it's starting in September, October, November, big speech month. So we'll be doing some in-person events. That's amazing. It's really fun. Yes. This has been incredible, Jen. Thank you so much for your generosity you. and sharing really important information that people don't think about. And the more right. we can, like you said, 55% of a, of a conversation is right. nonverbal. So it's so important. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And I hope you come back because we would Welcome. love to have you on again. There's so sure. much more we want to know. Sure. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but look, I didn't even get to analyze both of you. Oh, well, 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 go ahead. Wait, do a quick analysis. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh. You know, thank well, you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Well, thank you so much, Jan. That was really incredible. I, Like I said earlier, I could have talked to her for uh, three more hours at least, but, you know, we have other things yeah. that we have to do, even though this was so fascinating. I just loved hearing all about just the different things, the nuances and what we're saying with our body. And we don't even realize that the thing about your shoulders being level and everything like that, you know, right. just, and then I started becoming hyper aware of who's using their left hand. Who's Are you scratching your nose? What are you, doing? are you covering your mouth and rubbing your nose with your left hand? And, and then I'm like, Oh, Bridget, do not sit with your legs crossed to sort towards some man that is not your husband. You know, don't go shaking that foot, you know? And, um, I was like, oh God. Yeah, you became aware. That. Although yeah. she remember, she did say no, everybody's baseline. So That's some people true. just like to always cross their legs. That's true. That's we true. hope you guys enjoyed it. And please remember that all the videos will be up on the Patreon page. Um, there's a five, 10 and $20 level. So if you want to check that out at patreon.com, we already have up one on happy hormones with Nikki Williams. So that is already up there. So check that out, guys. We appreciate the support. And have a wonderful week. We will talk to you guys soon. Bye.